you can be the most confident person in the world and you still have your insecurities. Um, and Anderson. She's special, huh? Um, again, 22. Mind blowing. Uh, what talent. I've always put a lot of pressure on myself. I would go to a high school party or whatever, didn't know anybody. Oh my God, you're gonna be in the Olympics one day. Let's take a picture. Like, I was like, I'm not, I'm just a regular kid. Like, I don't, this is weird to me. And I had this, like, I didn't like that that was my identity. And it added more pressure to me because I was like, this is all that people think that I am. And it's not everything that I am. All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Denting. I have a very special guest here today, Angelina Anderson. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. I'm very excited to do this. Um, I've told many people that I've had on here a little story um, of how when I started this project, I was like, all right, who am I going to have on the show? And it was like what I call now the list, like the first <laughs> list. And you are officially the last person from that list, I can accomplish that I 10, made 15. the original list. Of course you did. Um, and a year and a half later, here we are. So nice. Yeah, really I'm glad we're this. finally doing it because I know there's been some hiccups yeah. along the way and we haven't been able to get it in. So right before I leave, this is perfect. Yeah, no, it's perfect. I was talking to my roommate, uh, Kevin, and he, I told him like the whole situation, like, yeah, a year and a half later. And he was like, wow, no, no better timing than this. So it's yeah. like, I'm glad it worked out. Um, a question I always start out with for those that may not know you, if you had to introduce yourself to me or to anyone, what would you say? I am Angelina Anderson. I'm 21 years old, born in March from Danville, California. Um, I am officially a pro soccer player. That's a new one in the intro. Um, and I guess I love music. I love nature. I like hanging out with friends. <laughs> there we go. I feel like self-intros, although it could be an uncomfortable question to start off a podcast with, I feel like self-intros say a lot about the person that's like talking, right? In the sense of something you've said and that we'll touch on later, but like your leadership showcase talk of how you're perceived versus how you feel. Totally. Um, and self-intros like are a huge reflection of that and how people understand themselves or how people may perceive them. I don't know if you've heard of the phrase, but it's like, uh, I'm not what you think I am and I'm not uh, what I think you think I am. I am what you think I think I am or something like that. Uh It's like a third person type of thing. I think I messed it up when I was explaining it, but it's like this whole perception thing. And we'll touch on that in a bit. But to start off your journey with everything, Um, You come from a family of athletes, two parents that are athletes. And I feel like not to take away from everything you've done and worked for, because I know you have, but genetically, that was like a gift very, very clearly, (laughs) right? Um, In one of the interviews, I think this was with Daily Cal, um, you say that there's like two sides of how your parents understand sports. Your mom is more on the health and fitness side and your dad is more on the sports side. How did that shape you into the athlete that you are today? Yeah, their impact on me has been huge. Um, Like, my mom and dad were both bodybuilders, fitness competitors. My dad played football. My mom ran track. 
Um, so they definitely, they both share a love for sport, but I think as my mom, you know, had a child and then her perspective and priorities changed about what that looked like, that's kind of more when I guess health and wellness started becoming more of her ideals. And I'm really happy that I learned from her. Um, like I learned from a young age, like your body knows what it needs to do to heal you need to treat your body well, but you need to have balance in your life. Like that was always just kind of ingrained in me from a young age, um, from her. And that was something that's, I just think invaluable. And a lot of people don't get that. Um, and then, yeah, my dad, um, he just was like total sports dad, um, from day one. My mom doesn't, she's like, she never even knew like about soccer at all. I was in horseback riding because of her. I was a gymnast because of her, like, but she didn't, she didn't even know what soccer was. Um, and my dad kind of took more of a football approach with me when I was a young athlete, like making me do jumping jacks and run around the track and all this stuff. Like I was 10 years old, but like making me do football workouts and stuff. Um, so that's kind of his, I think, perspective and, I guess how he raised me in the sports realm was definitely more of like an intensity about it. Um, but I felt like together it was such a good balance and I just, I'm so thankful for both of them. Like, I feel like a lot of people just, I would have never had any of the opportunities that I've been able to have if it weren't for that care, you know? And so I'm really grateful. Yeah. Like they're, they're the best. That's they're why I'm here today. That's awesome. Yeah. With with so much happening in your athletic career and like to where you are today, do you still find that there's a balance or do you still take the time to realize that there's a balance between between that health and fitness side as well as the competitive intense sports side or do you sometimes like forget about it if that makes any sense? Yeah, definitely there's days that I forget about it and I'm not always in perfect balance or Sometimes I like to just kind of not put pressure on either things and not put pressure on myself about being perfectly balanced or perfectly nourished or, you know, all this, like, that's part of the balance too. There's a give and a take. There's both sides to the spectrum, you know? Um, and so like taking that pressure off myself has, I think just helped me be more of a free athlete, if that makes sense. And I'm still growing in that regard, but to just like enjoy what I do and not put so much pressure on myself for the little things that could always be better, especially off the field, like the health, the wellness, the sleep, the, all that stuff. Like I used to be so nitpicky about what I ate and like it would consume my day and it was all that I thought about. And finally I just stopped putting pressure on it. And if I ate something that I, you know, wasn't supposed to eat, quote unquote, like I was like okay you know it's one meal like you're gonna it's, you're not even gonna go work it off it's gonna just be gone and you know in a few hours like it's fine and then you're gonna eat another super healthy meal that's not gonna do something you know that magnificent anyways like it's fine and so when I stopped putting that pressure on all these little things that I need to do well that was just that helped me so much and then there's the other side of it where you still need to have that intensity and discipline and competitiveness to be better. Um, but for me, it's just, I mean, I, I'll say this probably a lot through the podcast is like, it's always about finding a balance. Um, 
And I honestly believe that like everything exists on a spectrum and like today you can be really good and tomorrow you can be not so good and it's okay. Like there's still going to be another day tomorrow. There's still going to be another meal. Like you're all good. You're all good. So I just kind of stopped putting the pressure on myself to be a certain thing, but I'm still working on it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're all working on it. If not, there'd be no point obviously, but not that I'm big on stats because I'm really not. Um, <laughs> Me neither. But yeah, I'm not a math person, even though I admire the numbers. But there's this thing in statistics called the law of averages. That's like, regardless of whether it's a very high score or whatever you want to call it, or a very low score, or like you were mentioning with the foods, like, oh, very high in sugars or very low in sugars and very healthy, um, you always go back to the balance of that average eventually, whatever it may be. Um, and that's like what you're talking about right now, I feel like. But the question I have now is one of my New Year's resolutions, and I'm very big on this. I'm not one that says, oh, I'm going to do this and I don't do it. Like I really do focus on doing it is not being that perfectionist and finding everything in moderation. So for example, if I worked out one time a day or twice, it's like, hey, you worked out. And if you didn't have time for the second or third one, that's fine. Yeah. Or, you know what, like yesterday, for example, I was really craving a burger. So I went for the burger. It's okay. Everything in moderation. I'm not going to eat a burger every single day, but I'll do it that one time. In sports, I really struggled to be able to do that. And I'm not even sure if I was able to do that. How do you find that balance? Because it sounds nice, but I feel like in theory, it may be easy, but in practice, it just seems very hard. So yeah. how do you approach that? Yeah, it's definitely easier said than done. Like, oh, I, I, I love to be balanced and I don't put pressure on myself. But like I said, some days are worse than others. Um, and I think like I spoke very highly about both my parents and I obviously think the world of them. But like I grew up in a household where it was like, healthy and like it was chicken and rice and veggies for dinner every night like I had two bodybuilder parents like um and so it was like ingrained in me from a young age and then obviously I think we can all agree just social media being a woman being a woman in sports being a taller woman like that's always like been a pressure on me I don't I think I've placed it on myself um and so I think I just honestly I've just grown so much um, when it comes to not beating myself up over the little things because I'm just like, I'm good where I'm at right now. Like I'm more content um, with my life as a whole. And I feel like I trust myself more um, to be able to make good decisions for myself. And it's like, if I, and I think that probably comes with just maturing and like understanding where you've come from and what you've been through and the obstacles that you've, you know, made it past. Like if I do something, I'm like, okay, like, it's okay. Like I got this, like tomorrow I got this. And so I feel like it's kind of like a self-confidence, like an inner strength or inner self-confidence that kind of helps me just like move past that in a healthy way. But it definitely wasn't always like that. Like it's challenging to get to that point. And again, still growing in that, you know? Yeah, I feel like it is part of like, not even self-love, just self-confidence, like you're saying, and they may be intertwined, but it's like when you're sure of yourself or whatever you're doing yeah. or heading, I feel like it's much easier. For example, what you were saying with social media, 
Um, something that occurred to me right now is obviously I know that social media is could be a very negative thing for many people in terms of comparison, um, like you said, especially for some women. But I wonder, like, why? why? Why do you think that happens where we all have that common denominator? Do you think it's like that lack of that confidence and self-love? Or? Yeah, I definitely think um, it stems from like insecurities um, and you know, everybody has them, like, everybody has them, and you can be the most confident person in the world, and you still have your insecurities, um, and I think it's, like, you just see something, you're scrolling on your phone, and you just see something, and you see this girl, you know, who looks like this, or whatever, and it's just a part of you, and your insecurity, whether you're super insecure about your nose or your stomach or I don't know, even the way you speak and you see somebody on your phone speaking really eloquently, like it just hits a part of you that you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not that I'm not good enough there in that arena, you know, and then it hits an insecurity. I think it definitely stems from an insecurity issue. Um, And it's just like, how do you knock that? Like everybody has it. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of how you move past it is like, okay, everybody has these things. Like even that girl that you see that you think is perfect, like she has them too. Like the grass is always greener on the other side. So that's kind of where I think we can start moving past it is realizing that everybody feels this way, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. I feel like something that happens uh, that, that at least I go through in my head, you know, that stupid example that people use of like, Oh, if you're nervous or you're giving a speech, just imagine that everybody in the room is naked. I've never understood that. I think it's really stupid. But something that really helps me whenever I'm meeting like an important person or somebody that I really admire is just remembering like they have to go through the same daily things as you do. And I'm not talking I'm not talking like specifically. I'm just talking like they have to have breakfast, lunch and dinner as well. They have to brush their teeth. They have to shower. (laughs) They have to go to the bathroom. Like it's the exact same thing. They're just human, just like you. And it'll all be okay. Yeah, my mom always said, like, this is one of her favorite quotes. Um, people are people wherever you go. Like, doesn't matter if you're here at Cal, if you're going to be in the pro world, if you're going to be some executive someday, or if you're going to go to some foreign country. Like, people are people wherever you go, and there's always those common denominators. So that, I don't know, that just helps me connect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When when we talked, I posted about uh, Blink-182 and Depeche Mode. Did you say <laughs> Blink or Depeche? Both of them, but I think I said Depeche Mode, yeah. Have you listened to that song, People Are People? Yes, I have, yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorite songs, (laughs) and right now that you mentioned it, it's They're the best. I have an awesome shirt that says Depeche Mode, and the back's like, where's the revolution? It's the best. It's my favorite shirt ever. (laughs) Yeah, no, they're they're awesome, and hopefully I can get to watch them. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Going back to that conversation um, of your early days in sports, like you mentioned, your dad was like, on the sports side, um, I know you started with like basketball and soccer. Um, obviously, you stick with soccer. Um, when that decision did come, I believe it was around ninth grade, um, and that disappointed your dad is what I saw from from other uh, interviews. Um, have you asked him how he feels about it now? I've never asked, um, but just knowing my dad, my dad and I are very similar. Like, first of all, if you were, if you were to see my dad, you'd probably be like, that's Angie's dad just by how he looks. Like we look very similar, but 
but we operate in a very similar way too. And I think, um, I think he was just upset in the moment because it was a chapter closing of his little girl's life. You know, I'm an only child too. Um, and I think now he probably thinks it was, uh, was the best decision. I don't know what he wanted me to do. Like I had to choose one of them. Um, but now, I mean, I think it was just a decision that had to be made at the time and look at how it turned out. Like, you know, I made, I happened to have made a good decision. Like that's cool. So I think he'd be, he'd be pretty satisfied with it now. Yeah. <laughs> I that, have to assume. That's something I was thinking about is uh, like, obviously you're upset and I could completely understand it. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting your dad, but I could assume that it's like, well, if he played football, he's probably closer to basketball than he is to soccer. And maybe he could like relate to that, but it's just funny to think like, Oh, like that decision. I don't know how many years ago at this point, eight years ago. And now you're like, going pro yeah. in this sport which is <laughs> seems pretty cool um the story of how you you became a goalkeeper mm -hmm. do you want to take me through that yeah I was just talking about this the other day because um my agent now was one of my very first coaches okay yeah so it's kind of a cool full circle moment but he was actually the one that kind of gave me my first step as a keeper um basically I was on the silver team at my club and the gold team is the the top of the top right but I was on the second team um I was a center back I was an, I was an enforcer back there I'm not gonna lie um and the gold team needed a goalkeeper to go to surf cup and I guess my coach at the time was like you know um Angelina's tall she's athletic she plays basketball like she could probably catch a ball and shuffle around in there. Like, why don't we give her a try? And so I think I like got invited to practice with the gold team a few times. And I guess I showed some natural ability in, as a goalkeeper. Um, and then I remember the gold coach was like, his name was Jeff. And Jeff was like, do you want to come to surf cup with us as a goalkeeper? And I was like, yeah, I want to go to surf cup. Like, of course, that's the best of the best. Like that's the, that's the highlight of everyone's year in youth soccer. Um, but I didn't know at the time that I was locking myself in for good as a goalkeeper. Um, but you know, it worked out. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, not, not terrible at all. Uh, what caught my attention from, from that story is, what attracted you to the event of Surf Cup and the gold team standard, yeah. right? Like looking at those higher levels and wanting to be a part of it, regardless of whether you knew how to play that position or not. Is that something that you find to be a common ground in every aspect of your life, like wanting to be part of the best? Yes, I think that is really cool that you took that from that story because I would have never thought about that. Like I was so young. I just was like, Oh yeah, I want to go to surf cup. I want to be on the gold team. But now that I think about it, it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a trait of mine that emerged then, you know? Um, but yeah, and everything I do, I think it, it really, for me, it, it shows a lot when I'm in a group of people and, I can't help myself but to be the leader of the group and to organize things and to make things happen. Um, yeah, I think it's just a striving for more or I don't know. And even with school, like 
it's not good enough ever, you know, like soccer, obviously that's how I've kind of always felt too. like get better. Let's get to the next step. Um, which is cool, but it's also kind of like, could be problematic. And I feel like I've heard this argument quite a bit, um, with the way that like Americans do school and work and everything. And it's like, okay, you're just, you're in kindergarten and then you graduate and you go to elementary school and then you go to middle school and then you go to college or you go to high school and then you go to college and then you go to, you do your job after college and then you buy the house. And it's always like, what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next. And I think it's really hard when that's the mindset to be like, okay, in the present, you know? So yeah, I think I definitely strive for, to be the best and I strive to make the next best level and stuff. But I guess um, something I can work on within that is like being grounded in the present, you know, like this is pretty cool where I'm at right now. Like, let's enjoy this and see where it goes. Yeah. Well, where do you think, I mean, you're the psychology major here, <laughs> but having that balance, because from, again, from the outside, if you, if I just looked at your resume, if I had no idea who you were as a person, it seems like you are that person that wants more and more and more and more. But if I meet you or when I've met you, um, you seem as somebody that's very grounded and humble and like likes to connect with things like nature and things like that with music, um, like with very, I don't know, humanistic things in today's superficial world is what I'm trying to say. Where do you think this comes from the need to want more and more and more? Is it a cultural thing um, like you were mentioning in the U.S., which I agree with, obviously, but like on an individual level, mm -hmm. where do you think this comes from? I think I've always just had um, this internal drive about me. And and this is going to sound weird. I don't want this to come out as, you know, overconfident. But, like, I have this subliminal belief that, like, I will do something great. Like, I have a place in this world. And I've always felt that since I was little. Um, I... I don't know where it comes from. Um, it's a cool feeling though. I feel like even at my worst days and, you know, I've been through hard times and stuff, but I've always had that like inside and it kind of just keeps the fire burning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely think um, I'm a product of my environment too and surrounding myself with like-minded people that also want to, achieve great things um looking at my parents who achieve great things like looking at role models who have achieved great things like I I always feel like that's my natural progression is to keep moving forward yeah so yeah I feel like it's just kind of a an instinctual innate part about me which is cool like I'm glad it's in there <laughs> yeah no it's definitely an intrinsic uh, characteristic to to who you are and mm -hmm to a certain extent, I can relate to that, right? Like what you were saying, um, there's this lyric from Big Sean that I really like, and I forget the song, but it says like, if I ain't special, if I ain't special why, I've, why do I feel it then? Mm. And I feel like that's what you're trying to say. And yeah. it's not to seem like cocky or anything, but like you look at people around Cal and it's like, if they're not special, why do they feel it then? Mm. If, they, if they don't feel it, then they're not being realistic, right? Like just being here in the first place. But like, I don't know, I feel like it does keep us going and it's something that happened to me was I'm projecting myself through these questions in a way <laughs> but what you were asking before right like um with what I see with this project like 
to a certain extent, it's not I hate the phrase fake it till you make it because you definitely have to work for it until you make it. But to a certain extent, and whatever you want to do, you have to like lie to yourself until you actually get there. Like what yeah, you're saying. It's like trick yourself into believing it. Yeah. Yeah. You trick yourself until it's like, I'm going to get here. I'm going to get here. I'm going to get here. I'm going to get drafted. I'll get drafted. I'll get drafted until it happens. Mm-hmm. It's like that belief that keeps you going. And the the next question is, especially the thing you mentioned with the leadership, I'll, something I talk about with, uh, I've talked about this a lot with Lily, um, is the night we all first met, um, like our class, which is a hilarious memory. But even from then, like you stood out as a leader and you wanted to be like the leader in the group, right? What do you think would happen if you weren't the leader in a group? Oh, I know. I try. I I do social experiments on myself um, (laughs) where I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to talk today in this Zoom meeting where nobody's talking. I'm not going to do it. I am not going to do it. And I can't. I can't. Nobody else does it. (laughs) Nobody else. I don't know. I get so annoyed. I'm seriously like, really? Nobody else is going to talk right now? Um, And so I'm like, okay, I guess it's me again. But I, I want to... I want to try that more. Like what would happen if I just was quiet one day, you know, <laughs> or like if I wasn't super outgoing and loud and whatever, and I just haven't been able to rein it in, but I don't know what would happen in my head. The world would fall apart and everything would crumble and nothing would go right. But obviously that's not the case. I, I think um these last few, like this last week of being, here at Cal, I trained with the team like two more times. Um, and obviously me, Sid and Paige are leaving and that was kind of our core leadership group. Um, and these last few days, like I have kind of been staying on the back burner and just kind of doing my own thing and tying the knot in a good way. And like, you know, closing this chapter peacefully, but I've been noticing myself stepping back and not trying to step into the leadership role and not trying to overstep because it's not my place anymore. And I kind of want to see like who emerges on the team. So I guess I, I practiced this week um, and everything was fine. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be interesting to like moving forward um, on my new team in LA, like how how that leadership looks different because you know I'm not going to be the vet I'm not going to be the captain I'm not going to be getting all the minutes and stuff so I'm kind of interested to see how that it's always been a part of me I'm interested to see how it kind of morphs you know in a different way yeah to to your work rate which I greatly applaud like through again throughout the research I did um you talk about like the controllables and how you focus on that to get the best out of yourself obviously right like there's uncontrollables which kind of you just mentioned right you're you can't control the fact that it's your first year Mm -hmm. you can't control how you approach it and what you get out of it you can't control whether you're a starter or on the bench or making the squad but you can control what you make out of it how do you feel like tying these roles that mentality with your role as who you are as a person and your intrinsic values and characteristics how do you feel when you're not in control? Like, how do you approach the the uncontrollables? Because it feels like being in control is part of who you are and being that leader as well. And my team, my role, my this, my that. Mm-hmm. But what would happen if you're not in control, which is the reality with the majority of life? Yeah, I feel like 
most of the time I am out of control. I just like to when I am in control. Um, I that's an interesting question of like how you approach feeling out of control. Um, I think it kind of goes back to like, well, I mean, for I'm a very stressed, anxious person. So I think that's how I deal with it is like, you know, I stress out and I'm anxious and my mind's running a million miles a minute when I'm out of control, um, which a lot of people have that. But I think for me, it's like when I'm out of control, like how can I kind of flip the script and can I start knocking one thing out one by one, one by one, like make a list, honestly, make a list, cross it off or a mental list or just start on one task that you need to do or start thinking about how you can be better in this area or whatever, you know, whatever the situation is, but kind of flip the script. Like, how can I, how can I regain control in this moment? Um, cause I'm not gonna, I'm not going to be able to control this whole thing that's happening, but like, where, where are the pieces that I can manipulate, um, to, you know, flip the script, help me feel a little bit better about this situation. I guess that's kind of what I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm partially asking as well because it's how I'm feeling right now. And I'll go back to what you said and like earlier before we recorded and my ambitions again with this project, I'm going to be completely honest as I always am. Right. But like. I know that there are a billion other podcasts in the world. I know that mine is, isn't up there. But I feel like the approach that people take when it's like, uh, there's already so many people creating videos. Why would you add to it? I, I feel like it's literally like, well, there's already so many movies out there. Right. Why would somebody create another right. one? There's so many books out there. Why would an author write another one? There's so many athletes out there. Why would somebody want to be another mm-hmm. pro athlete? And I feel like it's that same thing of like, just keep going and again lying to yourself to get there (laughs) my point being that I've been very like I don't know if anxious is the word but overthinking a lot of things when it's like how am I gonna make it how am I gonna make this happen what am I gonna have to do and oh I'm planning ahead planning ahead and it's like future tripping (laughs) future tripping is a good word yeah and it's like you're not even there yet you you haven't accomplished that Mm -hmm. yet and just like grounding myself and I was trying to get that off. I knew you did a little, again, sorry, I do a lot of research and that's how I find out. But the checklist, that was very interesting (laughs) to me, how you do like your micro goals and then your bigger goals. Do you want to take me through that? Yeah, I don't even, I've always, it's interesting because I always have thought of myself as like, oh, like I'm kind of, I'm bad at goal setting. Like, I don't know how to, you know, make like a tangible, measurable, what's that thing? It's like a smart smart goal. I don't know how to make a smart goal. Like I got to sit down and focus on my smart goal, which I guess is the point. But um, I feel like I kind of do it without thinking about it. Um, Like just my mindset when things get hairy and I'm looking at the big picture a little too big, I'm globalizing everything. It's like, there's nothing worse than this. Everything sucks. Like those words, you know, um, the all encompassing globalizing words. Like when I start using those words, I'm like, okay, wait, 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 wait. Not everything is going to shit right now. Like I'm going to be okay. Where are, where are my little things? And like, just in like looking at it like that, that is a little goal setting. That is a little one step forward type of thing. Um, 
And like, I think we've all heard people say like, you need to have the like, how are you going to get there steps um, to reach the bigger goal? And I guess that's kind of the same process. It's like, well, we're going to knock out this one little, one little thing, one little thing, one little thing. And then eventually, ah, here we are, you know? So I, yeah, I guess I never really think of it as like, I'm a really great goal setter. Um, and I write down all my goals. Like I don't really do resolutions. I don't like write down my goals. Um, but I kind of do it, you know, without really thinking about it. Um, so I think if I could streamline that and like actually do it, like imagine how powerful that would be, you know? Yeah. Especially I feel like the answer to everything is what you just said, which is do it. You know, like there's, there's, it's so, so easy to just overthink it and plan mm-hmm. ahead and, oh, in six months I'll do this and in a year I'll do this. And it's mm-hmm. like, whoa, stop that and just do it. And it's yeah. like, if you're going to run et cetera amount of miles, take the first step mm-hmm. and then the second one and then the third and then forget about the rest until you get right. there. You know, I, um, like, I think you were there at the leadership showcase and obviously you've done your research, but like I've dealt with a lot of anxiety and depression and one of my, like my favorite therapist, I love her. Her name's Mindy. She's amazing. Um, I remember one day I was feeling like super depressed. My room was just a mess. I was like, I just can't do anything. Um, and I cannot clean this room. And this is what is like, you know, this is my, this is what's on my plate right now. It's this room. And she was like, you just have to do it. You just have to clean it. Like just, and this is like a therapist. And she's like, you just have to do it. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. And I was like, you're right. Like, okay, that's the only way I'm, it's getting done. Like, so I did it. I cleaned my room and everything was great. But yeah, it's like you said, it's like, you can do all these fancy things and have all these fancy mottos and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> just get started. Like put things to the side and do it, you know? Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it's something that is a hard, um, maybe even dichotomy at this point with our generation of having all of this arcane jargon around mental health, which is very important, but then also having the balance of saying like, yo, just do it, you yeah. know? Um, and I'm big on the mental health advocacy, but at the same time, I also feel just myself, right? Getting stuck on that and being like, dude, you just have to actually do the work mm-hmm. and, and it'll be fine. Like something I see from past generations that I don't think we do enough today is whenever somebody would fail, or get something wrong, or get canceled, or whatever it would be, right, Um, they would just keep going. Like, of course, they'd be sad, but they knew that the solution wasn't going to be to lock yourself in the room and cry for a week. It's going to be like, all right, keep going. I think the balance that we can find today to say balance again, Mm -hmm. right, would be to say, hey, it's okay to have those feelings, but you also have to keep going. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, again, going back to the law of averages, I feel like we're on the side of the spectrum where it's like, no, like have your feelings and express them and all of that, which is a response to a generation that comes from, oh, no, you can't have the feelings, other the, the other right. end of the spectrum. Yeah. Right. And, I, and I'm hoping that the law of averages will take us to right. <laughs> have feelings, but keep going, because if you just lock yourself in a room and have these feelings and don't want to do anything, that's not really going to take you anywhere. And it's just going to keep you in that loophole, which mm-hmm. is a bit unfortunate. But that's just my personal experience yeah. with that anxiety <laughs> and depression and not necessarily a depression in a long state, which, again, I really don't like when people throw around those words either. 
But I think it is fair to say that some people can be depressed and have a lack of purpose, even if it is for a day or for a year, however long it may yeah, be. Yeah, it can be in a depressed mood, for yeah. sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do you deal with that when you have felt that? Do you still feel it today, or was that a thing of the past? Um, You know, I think it's something I'll probably always have to work on. Um, what actually has helped me so much, which I was very against um, for a long time, was going on medication. Like, mm-hmm. I went on an antidepressant, I think, like, a year ago, in January, like, a year ago. Um, it was... I had finally gotten to a point where it was, like... I was talking with my therapist, and I was like, okay, I'm doing everything. I'm going to therapy. I have a great routine. I have a really stable relationship I have an awesome support system I eat right I exercise um I'm doing all the things right that are supposed to help but somehow I'm I'm still getting worse like I'm my symptoms are getting worse and worse and worse um and she was like okay well then maybe it's just time to do a medication trial like you've you're doing all the things and you're getting worse maybe it's time to try something new and I was like okay, like I was really scared. I was really nervous and it's completely changed my life. I'm not saying I'm not sad anymore because I have this pill that I take every day, but like it's completely changed my life and really, really, really helped. And it totally changed my perspective about medication too. Um, there's, I feel like there's always a stigma around medications in general, or at least I had one. Um, but it totally changed my perspective. So that's definitely helped. Um, and I think also just you know, things change with age. You go through different situational things, different times. Um, and I feel like my life has become more evened out right now. And that helps too. Um, but yeah, with the medication, it just kind of takes the edge off. Like it's easier for me to handle, um, those feelings and those things that normally or historically would have been earth shattering for me. Um, so that's been a huge, benefit to me why what was your stigma around the the medications if I could ask it I don't know if it was like a stigma um but I was really scared I've seen family members go through medication trials and try you know a bunch of different kinds of meds and it's like they're like this and they're yelling and they're angry or I've heard stories of people who take medication and now they don't feel anything at all. I've heard stories of people who are on antidepressants and they gain weight. And I was like, oh, that's my biggest fear. Like, no. Which, you know, get to see my priorities were in order. But um, I think I just was more scared um, of what might happen on the negative side. But I didn't really think about how much it could positively impact me you know like I was kind of only thinking it on one side of the spectrum of how it could work you know so I guess my stigma was not so much stigma I didn't judge people for taking medication I think it was just more of a fear of my own um yeah I just I for so long I didn't even take Advil like I was like no I'm listening to my body um but For some reason, just pills and medication, I was always like, okay, like, no, like, let's stay kind of, let's stay natural. (laughs) But 
it's changed my life. Like seriously. So I think it was a fear at the end of the day that I just did it and look where I am. Like, yeah. it's great. So that's awesome. I'm really happy for you that, that that's helped you. And I'm glad that, that, yeah, that you like broke down that, whatever the, you want to call that yeah. thought, right. But that you got past it and then it's helping you. I feel like obviously everybody has their own situations. Um, and I'm glad that worked out for you <laughs> from what you were saying with like natural feelings and natural body. Um, I know that part of your hobbies include like, going outside and being in nature or hiking or reading and writing and things like that, or even journaling. Mm -hmm. Would you consider those things like your natural sources of medicine? Totally. Yeah. Um, I definitely think, I mean, being a psych person, like I think a lot of healing stems from the ways that you can, I guess, calm your mind or things like that. Um, and there's a huge mind body connection. Um, the psychological and the physiological like go so hand in hand. Um, and I think like sometimes those things are just fun, you know, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to read this book cause I'm bored and I feel like it. And then other times it's like, it's necessary. Like I need to go outside and I need to go on a walk um, or I need to go on a run. I need to hike. I need to be in nature. I need to watch the sunset. Like it's, it does feel like more, um, of a necessity than like a fun little hobby time. And I always leave, you know, feeling better. It's the same with exercise or like if you get up one day and you're like, oh, I don't want to do this right now. It's cold. It's early. Blah, blah. And then you go out and do it. And like, I've never one time ever felt worse after exercising, you know? And so it's kind of the same thing. Like they're my medicine, they're my natural medicine without even realizing it. So it's cool. It's free too. <laughs> yeah. Do you do that? Like, especially specifically with the uh, journaling or, or everything as well. Right. But do you have a routine or is it whenever you feel like it, you just go for it as your needs, uh, demand of it. That's a good question. I'm kind of off my journaling game right now, which is kind of sad, but, um, I've always been a big journaler. I love just like having a new journal. Like I just love it. Um, but I think for me, it's more, um, when I'm journaling about like how I'm feeling or like when I really need to write it out, it's more on a like need to basis. And when I, sometimes when I try to force myself to write, it doesn't work, you know, the way that it's supposed to with me. Sometimes it does like, but I feel like for me, it just comes more naturally when I'm like, okay, you know, I really want to put these words down on paper, but then for other things, like my sleep routine, <laughs> like all a journal before bed and just like for five minutes, just write about, you know, what are some things that are on my mind? What am I stressing out about? How is my day? What do I have going on tomorrow? Um, and then I put my head down on the pillow and I feel like they're not in my head and they're on the page, you know? So I guess I kind of have a routine with it. Um, but when it comes to like really journaling and like getting my feelings out or anything, that's a bit more abstract and not so structured, I guess. It's kind of as on a, okay, I feel like this is something that I can do right now and it'd be good for me. Yeah. It's almost like having a personal conversation with yourself and taking your own advice and just like listening to yourself, totally. which is a very cool perspective right now that you said like, oh, it's out of my head and it's on the paper. Mm -hmm. Now I can go to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, that type of thing, which is, it's awesome. 
connecting your psych major, personal experiences, uh, nature, medicine, everything. Um, I've asked this to people that are like passionate about these subjects because I'm still learning about this. And I mean, I know it's a taboo still worldwide, um, but do you, what role do you think like psychedelics could take on people or even within the athletic community, which is a very interesting take because obviously people consider them drugs. Mm -hmm. But like we see in in Oregon, I believe that shrooms just got legalized on the 1st of January of this year. So it's like, what role do you think psychedelics will take in our mental health journey? I mean, it's definitely a really cool place that we're in that we can even like explore that um, with support. Like, Cal, actually, UC Berkeley just opened up um, a lab for the research of psychedelics. Um, It's like billions of dollars have been put into it. All the, I mean, this is hard to say because all the professors here are top notch, but like the top of the top professors in the psych department, health and well, health fields and whatever, they're, they're a part of it and they want to learn about it. Um, and it's like, leave it to Berkeley to be the the hub for psychedelic research. But I've, in my small limited research um, that I've done on it and been exposed to it, it's, it's promising. Like it's very promising. I think it's like, we have to tread lightly um, with how it goes because it is new and there's not a ton known, but preliminarily it's, it's really promising. And I, I just, I think it's exciting to see like where it could go. Um, I actually, I'm on like a, an email thread from like psychedelic magazine or something. And they give me like the latest updates every week. Um, so like, I think it's just, it's cool to keep track of and like, you know, if it doesn't work out, then we're where we are right now. But if it becomes this huge medical breakthrough and people really start having relief from it like great so it's like I I feel like we should fund and we should support the research of it for sure Um, and let's see where it takes us yeah it's very interesting how how it could work especially within uh, the athletic community Um, regarding yeah even like athletic community within the U.S. within the NCAA within like I can't say worldwide because I just can never see some of these things going through in our lifetime with something like an Olympic committee or a worldwide stage where other countries and different cultures have different things. Um, But in the U.S., for example, I I believe that within the NCAA, by around 2024, the testing of cannabis will be completely gone. Like, that's what it's looking like. I was in the meetings a week ago. Yeah. Um, and that's what it's looking like. And it's like, wow, that's I the first step. I kind of knew that day was coming eventually, you know, but. It, it has to. The issue then will be like every state has their own laws. And that's a political science topic, yeah. which I love. Um, <laughs> that's my major. But it's it's separate um, to what we're talking about with the point being that I feel like some, something that I've been obsessed with right now in the news has been the whole thing with ChatGPT and how that's I've going to... I've seen that, but I'm not up to speed. Okay, by no means am I, like, really on the tech side. I'm just interested in how it impacts writing. Okay. So here's here's how it goes. I'll give you a here's brief the summary. Spiel. <laughs> the spiel of ChatGPT. So basically, you can go to Google and you can type in ChatGPT. 
and as soon as you go onto it, you can say, um, hey, write this paper for me on this top subject of this book, whatever, and it'll write you a really, really good paper. Or simple things like if I ask it, hey, uh, give me a list of questions to ask on a podcast with a goalkeeper, and it's going to give it to me. And it'll give me solid questions. It's not the best, but so it's not it, the worst. Is it like an AI algorithm type thing? Oh, yeah. I, so, sorry. It is an AI okay. thing. Um, the reason why it's like altering a lot of, or not altering, it's just like, yeah, altering our society or people think it will is because, wow, it's going to start doing the work for us. So, a lot of yes. people that are worried are English teachers. And it's like, what does this mean for our education system? I think that the best part of chat GPT existing is that it presents a window of opportunity for us to be much more efficient because Google is the most used uh, SEO in the world. You can type in anything and it'll guide you to the answer. The second one is YouTube, which is like people giving you that. Chat GPT isn't guiding you to the question, I mean to the answer. It's giving yeah. you the answer which is really special. There's this really great concept uh, from Steve Jobs that says he, he tells this, not story, just like sh gives an example of the most efficient animal in the world in terms of travel is a candor. Um, just how it flies around, doesn't really use that much energy. And humans are nowhere close to that. But a human with a bicycle immediately turns into the most efficient traveling animal in the entire planet. And Steve Jobs believed that that's what computers were to our brain. Mm. That's what I believe ChatGPT will be to us, where it's like, hey, I don't have to do all this work or all this research. ChatGPT can help me. And then I can go on and do what I need to do. And I can focus on that and just save time. My point being with that entire subject of, I feel like the same could potentially happen with psychedelics, yeah. once that taboo is broken, um, I don't know, I can't imagine a world where it's like, oh, I have these feelings in my head or these things happening and I, I don't want them to go away, obviously, because they're natural feelings that humans should experience. But what if there's an easier way to solve these problems? Mm -hmm. What happens when we take away these problems? What other problems can we now focus on? Yeah. How much more efficient will our lives be and how much more can we advance as a society? Yeah. And it just seems really, really interesting yeah. to me. That's, an, that's a good way to look at things. Like, because immediately when you were telling me about chat GPT, or GPT? Or, GPT. Okay, no. chat GPT, I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, doing everything for us. But like, why do we automatically have a negative mindset for new things, you know, like a new perspective or a negative mindset on something that's so radical and new? Like, I feel like that's a general thing. We have a negative outlook on it. Um, and it's part of the thing with the psychedelics, too. Like, there's a huge negative outlook on that. Um, but then what if you think about, well, OK, how could it be beneficial? So I don't know. That's a really cool perspective. Of yeah, course. people don't like to maintain an open mind whether whether we think about it or not it's yeah. mostly uh, unconsciously but people don't like change that's just how we are mm -hmm. and you can say like oh i'm talking about chat gpt no this happens in my daily life yeah. where i'm pissed <laughs> off by change it happened to me over break i was talking about this specific subject with my dad and i'm like yeah we have to keep an open mind i was talking about the psychedelic news on january 1st we have to keep an open mind to keep progressing this this and that 
And then they told me like, hey, you have to go get a blood test 6 a.m., which means you can't uh, have breakfast that morning oh, yeah, or something yeah. until afterwards. And I was like, no, but I want to work out before I go. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to just wake up and go. No, I want to wake up, work out, and then start my day. Mm-hmm. And he literally tells me, like, do you realize how you're not open to the change? And that's a tiny thing in your day. You can do that later. You can get your workout in later. That tiny change just pissed you off. And I was like, well, it happens to all of us. Right, yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> but I don't know. I just imagine a world that where I can't imagine what the athletic body body could be capable of if we... Yeah give it these tools Mm -hmm. i guess i have no experience with any of these things with psychedelics or or anything but interesting to think about for sure it just seems interesting how it could impact the body yeah but yeah with all these subjects what made you decide to be a psych major it was always something i was really interested in um that and english um I think with psychology, it was like, I've always, always kind of been a little mini psychologist or like, um, very observant and like reading people. And so then when I actually was like, wait, there's like a science about this, like, that's cool. Um, and like, I have a, I have a psych, um, kind of neuro, side of my family too. Um, my dad's side of the family, my grandpa on that side, he is like, I don't even know what his title is, but like the head guy of psychology in all of Missouri, like, and then my aunt on that side, she's the head, um, children's neuroscience, at in Cincinnati. Um, she's now a professor, like, So I don't know, maybe there was something already in me, like genetically that predisposed me to have that interest. Um, But I think it just kind of came from even when I was like a little girl, I was always like so concerned. Like I always was like furrowed brow, like watching people and observing and reading them. And then I think as I got older, like I really liked to connect with people and then I was like okay well how do we study these things and then with my own kind of struggles um and experiences just with my own psychology then that even deepened my interest and then from my first like psych one class I was hooked like I just I knew it was for me it definitely was a fit and it was very natural what would your goal be with this degree like is there anything you'd like to do with psych in the long run or you're not sure definitely um I I think that I would like to take it more um to the medical side of things I don't really foresee my well I don't know I don't know my mind could change tomorrow but right now in this moment I think um I want to you know take it to the medical side of psych I'm really interested in the neuroscience um, part of psychology and how those intersect. Um, but I'm not totally sure where I want to go with it. I definitely could see myself being in school again after I play. Um, cause I really like school, honestly, like I could definitely see myself going back to school, earning more degrees or whatever. Um, but I think ultimately, and this kind of goes back to like 
me always having to like be the leader. I think I want to work for myself ultimately one day. Um, and so I think my dream would be to own my own practice, um, and treat people. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I would love to own my own practice and work for myself. Like I, I can see that for myself in the future. That's awesome. (laughs) Very cool. How do you think being a psych major has impacted you as a goalkeeper? I feel like I don't um, explicitly think about it, but it kind of makes me like understand the the ride more because like being a keeper is kind of a whirlwind. Like um, I just, I mean, it's like this for every sport in every position but like you know the emotions and feelings can be so intense like about a game or about a play and I feel like kind of having my psych background is like yeah like that's what happens like with anything and one really cool thing that I um I guess learned early on when I was like starting to study psych that was just like an interesting tidbit we were learning about um fight or flight response um and the your nervous system's response to that basically and like what happens um and I was thinking after like we were talking about the symptoms that you would feel um based on how your body's responding and one of them was like or I don't know I don't know how I started thinking about it but I was like after I um after I have a really hard practice like a lot of shot stopping like live shot stopping or after a game or at halftime, like my hands are like so shaky for like probably like 20 or 30 minutes. Um, Like they just won't stop. They're so shaky. And so I asked my professor, I was like, am I in like fight or flight mode when I'm, when I'm playing goalkeeper? And he's like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. Your body's like in actual like battle mode and when you're doing that, that's your body. It, they, you're kind of on a, like a 20 minute cycle, um, of all those chemicals and endorphins being released when you're in fight or flight, because otherwise you would like, you couldn't be able, you wouldn't handle all those chemicals flying around. So you have like a 20 minute cycle, I guess. Um, and it like clicked perfectly. I was like, wait, so that's literally happening every day that I'm practicing. And I might, when my 20 minutes are up, I stop shaking or whatever, you know? So I was like, wait, that's such a cool, I guess, translation of like what I'm actually learning and what I'm experiencing. Like, it's a little thing. It did, it wasn't mind blowing and changed the way I performed or anything, but I was like, that's cool. So it kind of like reaffirmed my interest, I guess. That's very cool. <laughs> I feel like um, something I've done recently, my brother just went off to college right now he's actually also a goalkeeper Aww. um yeah he he just joined Creighton's uh, men's soccer team as a goalkeeper so nice. very excited for him um and something I was telling him with majors is I I feel like it could be divided or at least in my head it's divided where it's majors that help you understand the world and how it was built or our society and how it was built and then there's other majors that help you play the game that is already created in society and how those two work together. I feel like psych is one of the few where it's like both. Yeah. 
Totally. It, it like it shows you why things were created the way they were, and then it shows you like how to continue playing this game mm-hmm. on a daily <laughs> basis, which is very very interesting. Going back to soccer, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> in high school, what was your routine like uh, with workouts? Now that you started taking it more seriously after basketball, what was that like? Um, so high school was really when I was heavily involved with the national team. Um, so I was gone a lot. I was usually, you know, home for two weeks and then gone for two weeks and home for two weeks and gone for two weeks. Like that was kind of my routine for a long time as I like geared up for my first World Cup and then for my second World Cup. Like that was just how it was. And I I started to love like being on the road. It was like I was on tour like a rock star. Um, Like I loved being on the road. I loved my friends there. I liked the routine of like being gone kind of. Um, so that was like the big, you know, thing that I can remember from high school and my soccer days. But, um, when I wasn't at, when I wasn't away or gearing up for any national team events, I remember I would go and work out before school, um, at like five in the morning. And I don't know why I did that, but I don't know. I just, it made me feel better and had, it made me feel like once I was done, like I had such a great day afterwards, you know? So I don't know. I would get up in the morning. I would work out before school sometimes, like as a freaking freshman, sophomore, like, I don't know. I was crazy. And then go to school all day. Um, usually come home, do schoolwork, do homework, go to practice come home, do more schoolwork and wake up and do it again. Like yeah. that was kind of the monotony, monotonity or of, I don't know what the word is, but it was a very monotonous schedule, I feel like for a while. And then I think I liked um, having the like spontaneous trips, you know, and like being with my, my friends from all over the country and going to Argentina and then going down to Florida or whatever it was. So I feel like, that's why I really loved being gone and being away. (laughs) I mean, it's hard not to love those travel experiences, right? Especially playing that high level of soccer with those amazing people. Um, But yeah, it is, it is interesting. I was asking as well because I was same situation, wake up, work out, go to school. And I still do that to this day. Like I enjoy, I really don't like when the first thing uh, on my schedule isn't a workout. I just don't know why, but yeah. it does, like starting your day off that way just makes me so happy. Absolutely. Um, and I also hate working out in the afternoon or the evening. Like yeah. it's just not going to get done or it's not going to be as good as it could have been in the morning. Like I'm totally with you on that. <laughs> the other thing there is for me, I can't work out in the afternoon or evening. If I didn't work out in the morning, like just mentally what you just said, it's not going to get done. For me, if I already worked out in the morning, it's like, all right, I'll probably keep going and pushing just because I I already have that going for me Mm -hmm. throughout the day. But if I don't start my day with that, it's so hard to work out in the evening. Yeah, I agree. Just a personal (laughs) tone. But the national team obviously sounds amazing. And it's incredible that you went to not only one World Cup, but two before being a freshman in college. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. It's incredible. But... It wasn't always that way, I guess, because you started. What? How old were you when you got your first call up? It was t- December of twenty sixteen. So fifteen. Yeah. So you were fifteen, and 
uh, as you've said elsewhere, there was already a core group there, um, the girls that knew each other, that had played together, mm-hmm. and you were the new one, and you were out of your comfort zone, and you didn't have control over everybody, and you maybe weren't necessarily the leader, but eventually you go to the World Cup, and you are the captain. How did that experience of being the outsider shape you as a leader, as a teammate, and as a friend? I think it goes deeper than just like my national team experience. Um, And this might come as a surprise to you because I think a lot of people see me as someone who is connected and likes to talk and has friends and all this stuff. But I've always kind of felt like an outsider or different um, or like alone or whatever you want to call it. Um, And I feel like while that experience can be painful or whatever, it's made me so much more open, understanding, willing, committed to forming connections with people um, and forming genuine ones. Cause like I, again, it's like, I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at another human who they feel that they feel like an outsider too, or it makes me, it makes me feel more inclined to connect with the outsider. Um, And I think specifically the experience on the national team, like it was really hard at first. Like I, like you said, I didn't have any friends. I like hated going at first. I absolutely hated going at first. I'd cry at the airport. I would mark down on my, like I would cross out how many meals I had left to like, until I got to go home. Like, and I had a friend who felt the same way. It wasn't because I like didn't want this opportunity or anything. It was just like, I felt so alone in this new thing that I was doing so I feel like kind of that that's made me more sensitive to okay other people might have these kinds of feelings too you know so I feel like it was kind of an eye-opening experience to to feel it like firsthand um instead of kind of in this abstract way where it's like okay yeah like I kind of always have felt different or whatever and now I'm like literally the outsider like you could pick me out in the group um and yeah, I think it just it just helped me become a better friend, a better leader, a better daughter, a better girlfriend, because everybody feels that way at some point, And I felt it, too. And now I can connect with you on that or I can help you through that. Like, it's just I think it's just made me better. Speaking of relationships as a whole, I feel like. No, not only knowing what it's like to be alone, but to a certain extent being comfortable with it or learning how to be comfortable with it is so much better because one, you don't depend on the relationships, but two, like you said, you know how it feels, but you show up in a more fulfilled way already where it's like, Hey, I don't need, I don't need you to feel fulfilled myself. But now that I am whole, I can give you something, you know, like something I've said a lot is like, you can't give what you don't have. If you don't have self-love, you can't give love to somebody else. If you don't have, x y or z you just can't give that yeah and it's interesting because many people could sense that it's bad to be alone but if you aren't comfortable being alone i love being alone <laughs> i love being alone as well like if you're not comfortable with that i mean at the end of the day like at the very end of the day like you might yeah you might go to sleep with your partner or whatever but you're really you got you like you're going to sleep with you. You're at the end of your life. Like you're laying on your deathbed with you. Like you got to be comfortable with that person. You know, I love I love being alone. Like I need my alone time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so powerful. And it's again, to use the word, it's a crazy balance mm-hmm. because 
I believe that we find meaning and purpose through conversation and just being together because yeah. that's what society is made out of. And if you want to analyze it psychologically, then that's like it makes was. perfect. <laughs> I already was starting to. <laughs> there you go. Like it's it's perfect to it's a perfect way to explain it how we really need it. But at the same time, the only people you have is like the only people I have is me, myself and I. Right. Like I can be connected to someone i can have family members i can have friends i can have podcast guests i can have many different people in my life but at the end of the day i only really really have myself yeah and i feel like until people understand that and protect that it's horrible to show up somewhere else and yeah. not have that yeah i agree yeah pretty pretty crazy but i appreciate that story because like i said two world cups Golden Glove at CONCACAF, like all these things you you say, wow, like she's untouchable. She's on a different level, like all these things. And and going back to, well, Ange also just has a workout or Ange also has Mm -hmm. breakfast just like I do and goes through these things. Like it's not to take away credit whatsoever, um, nor to compare my athletic self to you. But I feel like at the end of the day, we're just all human and that's what matters. Totally. And it's like, I had a big problem for a while with only being identified as, oh my God, you're the U.S. player, whatever it was. Like I had a big problem that my identity was only soccer. So I hear you on that. And it's like, I wish there was a way that when you see somebody, you could see all of them, you know, but that's kind of what makes it cool and fun and meaningful to to get to know somebody and talk to them like you said we find purpose in talking like that's why we do because they're all their colors aren't laid out yet you know so I've kind of grown into being okay with okay that's my exterior identity for a lot of people and then the ones that are able to the ones that I'm able to connect with and form a genuine you know friendship or relationship with now they get to see even more. And the other side of me that is, you know, you couldn't guess it from my resume or whatever. Yeah. There's a, a certain beauty to uncovering those layers, not only because yeah. of the process, but because like you mentioned earlier, like there's more and more and more to go in the same sense that there's always somebody that you don't know their story or who they are and like continuing to pursue that. Maybe it gives you a purpose or a meaning, but it's like, such a beautiful process yeah. over and over and over again. So definitely very special to mm-hmm. to have that and have that exterior identity, I think is interesting that you see it that way, but it makes complete sense. Like I, I know that, that people like know who you are and could have an idea um, of, Oh, she's done this, this, and this, but especially with the athletes I've gotten a chance to meet here, a common denominator, they all say is like, dude, like, I'm not my results, right? Like, I'm not this, yeah. like, they're obviously, they're proud of it, and as you should be, um, but the, it's so much more than that. Like, you go through the same things as everybody else, which is why I think as well, it's such a, like, mental health right now is such a big deal for athletes because many people see athletes as almost superheroes in the sense of, wow, they can accomplish all these things or, wow, they had this performance on the field. Wow. This time around, they had a shit game. Dude, you don't know what's going on in their personal life. You don't know what's going on with their friends, with their relationships, with their teachers, whatever it may be. Like smart students have horrible presentations every now and then or a bad test or a bad essay. 
it's the same thing with a game, but I don't think people see it yeah, that way. Steven and I were just having this conversation. Um, I think I could totally be wrong, but I think it was like the the cow the Dallas Cowboys kicker. Yes. Was it was yes, the Cowboys yes, 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 kicker yes, yes. who made history in not the most amazing way, right? He missed four, four. field goals. Yeah. Um and Steven and I were talking about it and he was like he is just getting ripped on like on Twitter right now or on social media. And he was like, I just, I just will. I just feel so bad. Like he's just a human at the end of the day. But yeah, like at a certain, at a certain point you're, you're on this stage. And if you have a bad day, it's, that's, you know, it's your job at this point and your entertainment and your commodity to the world. So that's what happens, but it's, we were just having this conversation. It's like, yeah, well, when an athlete has a bad day and their performance doesn't go so right, you know, the reaction is so extreme. So extreme and unfairly so, because I can't imagine if people had all the eyes of the world on them when they mess up at the grocery store or in the classroom or all these things. I forgot the pasta noodles or whatever and now the world's over <laughs> I, I forgot the pasta noodles mm-hmm. or you know what today I didn't shower or today I didn't cook or all yeah. these things it's like dude not to compare that to kicking a field goal but <laughs> it's literally the same thing like literally anyone can mess up you have no idea what that kicker is going through in his personal life mm-hmm. I've never met him I don't know what's going on with his family I, I don't know his, his name I don't know his name <laughs> I don't know what's going on with his relationships you don't know that you don't know what's going on in his head but now he's going to be remembered for that and it's so bad like I feel like that's why mental health can be such a big subject for athletes because it's like if it's not the result if it's not the entertainment I want to see as mm-hmm. a viewer and if it's not you giving the entertainment the fans want to see as me, a business owner, owning a team. I mean, yeah, at that level. At, at that level, level yeah. especially at that level. Yeah. I, I But I feel like with any example, you have to exaggerate. I think the NFL is the biggest exaggeration of any of generalizing totally. sports. Um, but that happens at every level, whether yeah. it's the entire nation watching you or just here at Cal. Like, I yeah. genuinely think it's it's the same thing because – whether it's people on Twitter or people walking around campus and saying this person messed up here, you still feel you still feel like the whole world is talking about you yeah. and has their eyes on you, and yeah. that's the hardest part. Yeah, I actually, um, speaking of Concacaf, because um, you mentioned it earlier, this just brought up a great memory. Um, I had a really bad game um, in that tournament. We ended up winning the game, but it was against Haiti, um, which is like a team that we should have crushed, like whatever. But I just like, I don't know. I was just not having a good day. Right. Like it happens. Like I was I was the Cowboys kicker that day. Um, And I remember. So I was like 17 years old um, and all these people on Twitter were talking about it and they were like. Um, oh my God, if this is the future of our women's national team goalkeepers, like we are in trouble. Some other guy was like sticking up for me and he was like, come on, dude. Like she had a bad game. Like she's a talented keeper. She's a young keeper. She had a bad game or maybe she was having a bad day. And then somebody responded and it was the most out of pocket comment I've ever heard. Um, 
to a teenage girl from an older man on Twitter, like a random guy. He was like, a bad day. What? Is she on her period? And I was like, I'm 17. Why are you talking about my menstrual cycle? That is ridiculous. And and I'm like, if that happened to me when I was like a 17 year old, people don't know who I am, whatever. Like, the NFL kicker, like, can you imagine the comments that he's reading about himself? Like, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. Like... It really is. There's no other, you know, profession that that happens that I can think of, think of off the top of my head, you know, that it's so public when you make a mistake. Yeah, it it, it is. It is hard. And I mean, I've dealt with criticism on a very personal level. Um, my entire life. But something that came up recently was a little clip I posted uh, with Isabel Ivy, And I asked her, like, do swimmers pee in the pool? And it was really funny. It was <laughs> yeah, just a funny I, I clip. I saw that. Yeah, it was just a funny clip. It still gets about a thousand views every day on Instagram right now. It's It climbs every single day. And more and more and more, I just get comments on, like, what the fuck is she talking about? How is this possible? I've been swimming for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I've been I've been swimming for 10 years and I've never done this. Like, what the fuck is she talking about? And literally, like, when, when I texted with her about this, I just asked her, like, how many of those people do you think is competing at the level you're competing? Right, 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 right. How many of those people are getting in the pool two to three times a day, grinding, and can call themselves one of the most elite swimmers? Mm-hmm. In the NCAA. None of None them. None of them. None couch of them. commentators. They are couch <laughs> commentators. And, like, for me, like, I've gotten, like, obviously I post a lot, so eventually I'll get some hate. When I think about that, it's like, what is going on in your life for you to have to say that, that in is, a comment? Yep, that's how I feel. I'm like, why? why? Like, like, this is, I'm like, I want to help you through this. Honestly, I'm like, why, why do you feel the need to be mean like that? Like, why can't you let it go? You know, it's, it's again, I think it's an insecurity problem at the end of the day, but it's, it blows my mind. Like, and it's getting worse, I feel like. The, the biggest thing about hate speech, whether it's on social media, in person, or just criticism in general, is that it says more about the person giving it than the person receiving Absolutely. it. Yeah. And people don't realize that. So it's like, whenever you get shit from whoever it is, it's like, all right, that's you projecting yourself yep. and whatever it is you're going through on me, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. And it's really hard to understand that, but once you do, it's like... You're, like, untouchable. Like, you, you can't hurt me. You can. <laughs> you can. And it's it's crazy. There's this quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. I, I can't precisely know... I don't precisely remember what it says, but it was something like, they can't hurt you unless you allow them to. And mm-hmm. it's just like... I think I know what you're talking about. It, yeah. It, it's something... Yeah, it's something like that where the concept is, like, nobody can hurt you or your feelings unless you give them permission yeah. or without without your consent yeah. and it's it's that same thing and i don't know it's just hilarious to me whether it's a guy on twitter or somebody commenting on an instagram reel it's like I know. <laughs> why do you care and it's like right, all right thanks for your opinion so much yeah <laughs> it's something else to do which is the sad part that's the sad part if you have time to drop hate on social media you're not busy enough you're not you're not busy (laughs) enough or i really just hope you're having a good life yeah i mean (laughs) it's rough it's rough but 
I'm sorry you went through that, but <laughs> honestly, now I like laugh about it. But I'm just, I, I'm just more like appalled. Yeah. Like weirdo. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. Sadly, that's the reality, and I, I think both those comments are unfortunately, but funnily enough, <laughs> gonna be the first of many for for the oh, both yeah, of us in our separate lives. Definitely. So, um, with your your high school experience, something that's really interesting to me, and I still remember this from the first night we met. Colin, shout out Colin, Colin uh, trying to be the funny guy that he is. Um, when I'm talking with some of you, he just goes like, oh, fair. He's probably He probably hasn't talked to girls in a while. He went to an all-boys Catholic high school. And you immediately said, hey, I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, so fuck off or something like that. <laughs> and that really stood out to me, not because of the comment, that. not because of the comment, but because we had that in common, uh-huh. like just having like that experience so how do you think that shaped you especially going to somewhere like Berkeley because it really impacted mm-hmm. me like yeah having that experience. I mean I I went to public school um leading up to high school um and I was supposed to go to the big public school with all my friends from middle school um but I started looking at Crondelet, which was my high school um initially because they had like such a well-known and renowned basketball program and I wanted you know I was like hmm, maybe I should go play for their basketball team um and so I did the whole interview process um got in got accepted and I remember when I got accepted I was really happy about it and that kind of solidified like okay this is the right choice for me right now um and I absolutely loved my high school experience like I still got to do everything that every other high schooler does. There were still mean girls at my high school. And it's the exact same quote that I said earlier for my mom. People are people wherever you go. I got everything I needed to and more out of my high school experience, even though I didn't go to the big, cool public high school and I went to the all-girls Catholic high school. Like, it was awesome. I had the best time. My favorite part was honestly wearing the uniform because I didn't have to think about what I was wearing (laughs) the next day. Um, But then transitioning to Berkeley, I think I, like, I think I wanted a bigger experience. Not that I didn't like the small one. Um, I just thought at at the time that where I was at in my development and where I wanted to be, that was what I needed. Like I wanted to take it all in. I wanted to experience as much as I could. And you and I both know that if that's what you're looking for, Berkeley is the place. Um, and then I remember when I got to Berkeley, I loved, I was walking, um, through Sather gate, like, you know, when all the fair, like the club stuff is going on. So there's so many people there. And I remember I was walking through and I was like, nobody's even like, I don't know anyone like nobody's even looking twice at me right now. Like I'm just a face in the crowd right now. And I loved that feeling. Like it was so cool. So definitely a different experience for my high school. Um, But at the same time, you know, there's always going to be the, the human commonalities wherever you go. Um, And I think it was a really timely and perfect jump into that kind of new discovery yeah. for me so it was good I, I liked the transition and I thought it was seamless too like it was yeah. good for me that's awesome yeah I mean for me 
it was definitely a bit of a culture shock because I was only used to going to small private Catholic schools. Yeah. Um, but coming here, it was awesome. And it's definitely what I needed timely wise mm-hmm. as well. Um, what you're saying with campus right now, this past week, I felt like very, very, I don't know, different for the first time in the sense that it usually takes me 10 minutes to get to a class. Now I have to take 15, 20 minutes because on my walk to a class, I will stop at least five times to say what's up to somebody that I bump into. My favorite part about that is that if I know five people and I feel like, wow, I have so many friends, (laughs) there are a thousand people around them that I've never met in my life. Don't know who I am. (laughs) I'll never see again. And they could not give a single fuck about who I am. And that's so cool to me. I thought it was really cool. And I think another part that made the transition um, easier for me was the fact that I traveled so much in high school. Like, so I had all these experiences with different kinds of people. So a big world wasn't, you know, wasn't scary for me. And then when I experienced it, it was like so cool to just be a face in the crowd. Yeah. The, the other thing and connected to these things that you're talking about, which stood out to me right now, is the uniform. What mm-hmm. you said. You you liked having yeah. the uniform. Well, our uniforms were kind of like, they were kind of cute too. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so, for me, having a uniform was the normal thing in school. I never attended a school that didn't have a uniform. Mm-hmm. So, I knew. I, I've never thought about what to wear. Then I would go to soccer practice. We had our uniforms. Yeah. I, didn't, yeah, I didn't think about it. <laughs> I show up to Cal and there's no uniform outside of what we have. And it's it's me in my freshman dorm spending 10, 15, 20 minutes thinking, what am I going to wear? What am I going to wear today? I don't want to wear the same thing twice. I wore that last week. And then I started posting videos and I was like, I already recorded a video with this outfit. I, I don't want to do it again. And it's so stupid and it took away so much of my time. So the biggest impact that the Catholic schooling system had on me is that now I just wear all black. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my solution. I just wear all black. I love an that's all black my, fit, though. That's my uniform. It's my daily uniform, especially <laughs> with videos. This started when yeah. I did the videos. It was like, you know what? The easiest thing is just to wear all black. Um, totally. And yeah, that's, that's those are my fits now. It's literally I will only wear black and white, and it helps me just like – eliminate um, decisions yeah totally the stress the decisions and going back to the steve jobs thing it just just makes my day so much more efficient because instead of thinking about what i'm gonna wear i just get to think about other more important things yeah (laughs) before before we started recording i was telling you like i really don't care what i look like Mm -hmm. anymore like okay yes i will tidy up but it's just this is what you get this is what you get With those things of the perception and that what people may think of what I wear, what I look like, etc. I know that many people could have an idea or perception of who you are through your accolades. And I'll tell you a story, actually, that I've I've never told you. I was uh, it's about you freshman year as well. Um, It was it must have been the UGBA 199 class or something. And we were walking around and. I I remember somebody just saw our little group walking together. By the locker rooms up at HPC, uh, a guy bumps into us and he goes, wait, are you guys on the soccer team? And we're like, yeah, are you a freshman? Yeah. And they're like, what's the deal with that Angelina Anderson girl? Like, isn't she supposed to be like ridiculous at soccer? And we're like, yeah, she's supposed to be very good. Um, 
and he I will forever remember this. He goes, some people say she's going to be the next Hope Solo. And I was like, dude, I don't know if you just understood, like, yeah. what you just said. <laughs> I'm not saying you're, you aren't at that level. I was just thinking, like, my first thought was the pressures you're walking into and the pressures I'm walking into are extremely different. <laughs> Did you ever feel that? Those the, pressures? Oh, yeah. I think, I think honestly, though, now that I think about it, it's a lot of pressure that I put on myself. Okay. Um. But yeah, definitely. And I think tying it back to kind of what I said earlier about my identity piece, like that was like I would go to a high school party or whatever, didn't know anybody. Oh, my God, you're going to be in the Olympics one day. Let's take a picture. Like I was like, I'm not I'm just a regular kid. Like, I don't this is weird to me. And I had this like I didn't like that. That was my identity. And it added more pressure to me because I was like, this is all that people think that I am. And it's not everything that I am. But then on the soccer specific side, even with school, even in my relationships with family, with my boyfriend, anything, I've always put a lot of pressure on myself. And I think it's, again, a balance. You tiptoe a very fine line with that because to be successful, I do believe that you need to hold yourself to a very high standard. Um, but obviously you can go overboard and you can put too much pressure on yourself to, you know, to keep that standard. Um, but yeah, I've always felt a lot of pressure and I think I have definitely, um, let it get the best of me sometimes and like, let my focus go where it doesn't need to go you know, or it's not about enjoying it anymore. It's about doing my job. And when that kind of started to creep in those feelings, like I started getting really like feeling really burnt out with soccer. Um, so putting too much pressure on yourself is, that's just, it can ruin things. Like it's just not, (laughs) the way to go. And and obviously that's easier said than done. And I know it because I still put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, but I guess I didn't really get it so much from like, well, I I did. Yeah. You're going to be the next hope solo. You're going to be in the Olympics one day, which in my mind, I'm like, okay, you much, you, this is very, you know, this, that's very far away. Let's not, let's not jump to conclusions quite yet, but like, thanks. But, oh, my God, this is the standard that I have to uphold for everybody else, too. So, yeah, it's both a personal pressure I put on myself. And then also when I wasn't comfortable with that being my identity, that put a lot of pressure on me. How did you get past that burned out feeling of people expecting a lot from you? Freshman year, you're starting right away. That's not the case for many if not most, the grand majority of D1 student athletes. You start right away. You play every single game for your first two seasons until injury, literally, or illness. Like, nothing stopped you. You were always, like, on top freshman of the year, goalkeeper of the year, All-American, all these things, people expecting these things from you. Like, you obviously burn out eventually, but how do you get past that? I mean, I think um, it was a, an easier transition for me because I had national team experience. So, like, when I came in and, like, I was just doing my job, right? Like, I was just 
being the best I could be, the normal college things that would, you know, normally throw somebody for a loop. I had already experienced that. I'd already experienced being professional and having a tight schedule and all those things. So that kind of made the transition a little bit easier, I guess. Um, but wait, I for, what was the question? I forgot. Just how you got past yeah, how that I, burnout. Yeah, how I got past the burnout. Um, for me, I actually, I actually remember this was a huge deal um, in my life, but I decided that I wanted to take a break from national team. And it was, and a lot of people like to this day, Neil, he's like, you know, you're going to have to tell NWSL coaches why you stopped playing for the national team. Like they're going to question your commitment because of that. They're going to question, do you want to be the best? Um, and I get that. I think it's a little unfair because I'm, I was young and I was figuring out my life. And at this moment in time, that was what needed to happen for me. I did feel like my identity was all consumed in that. And that wasn't, that wasn't fulfilling for me. Um, so I, I honestly took a step back from, you know, one, one thing in my soccer life. I, I took a step back, um, because I was feeling burnt out and I knew that I didn't want to burn out completely. Right. Like I wanted to play at Cal. I wanted to enjoy my time. Um, and I didn't want to burn out completely. A part of me knew that I, you know, I still want to play. That's not, that's not the issue here. Um, and so I took a step back from that and, you know, just recently, I'd say over the past year, the fire has naturally reignited itself. Um, and for me, it's a beautiful thing that it happened naturally, um, and that it wasn't forced. And now I have that mindset again. Um, and I'm not feeling burnt out. I'm feeling the opposite. I want more, I want more, I want more. And that only could have happened because I took that step back and then it came back on its own for me. And now I'm here. I want more. I'm hungry. I'm going to be a pro. I'm going in with that mindset. So for me, like I look back at that and I'm like, uh, you know, a lot of people will see what they want to see in that decision. Um, I know how I was feeling at that time. And now I know how my mindset has come back around to it. And it's like, that was the best case scenario. I don't think I, I might not be here if I didn't take that step back, you know? So, no. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome because you took a step back for the better. Mm -hmm. I would actually disagree with, uh, with your coach because I feel like it shows how committed you are to the game by saying, hey, I'm going to take this step back because if not, I'm just not going to be the best mm -hmm. version of myself. Whether you thought about that or not, it's the truth. You true. were thinking of what is best for me right now. If what's best for me right now is taking a break from one of the most elite opportunities I get on a whatever basis it is, then I have to do that to be my best self. Mm -hmm. I think that shows how committed you are, not only to the game, but to your own persona. Like I think that says a lot about you that many people sadly again are just not willing to accept and i think that's where the balance of generations comes in where it's like she's still going she just needs a break mm -hmm. from this thing but she's still working on something else just because she said she needs a break from the national team doesn't mean 
that she's not committed to it. Of course yeah. she is. Yeah. Not to the national team itself, but to herself. Mm-hmm. And have you gone back since? No, there were some, I mean, since COVID, there's, you know, been limited camps and things. Um, and there's been some interest from the 23s coach. Um, but I haven't been back in since I think my freshman year or the summer before I came in as a freshman. Um, but it's definitely something that I want again. Um, and it was like what we were talking about earlier is like, okay, what's the next best level that I can strive for? And it's that, like, I want that again. And, um, I'm super excited because my coach down in LA, his name's Dan, he wants that for me. He's like, I think you can be that. And I'm, I want to get you there. And I mean, if you want it, if you want it, I want to get you there. And I'm like, I want it. So yeah, hopefully, it's, hopefully soon. <laughs> it's crazy how many of these systems work. And I don't, I'm not going to ask a question because I don't want you to, to answer it for your own sake, but I'm just going to go on my own rant by myself <laughs> and say like, it's crazy how some of these systems work. And how it could be that you gave a break and maybe they're like, all right, then I'm not going to invite her for the yeah. next couple of years or or do this just to say, just to show how much of a privilege this is or to show like, oh, if you don't want to come, then we don't want you either type of thing. But I think the most exciting part um, is to be so good that it's inevitable. Be so good that they can't ignore you type yeah. of mentality. And obviously it'll come if you want it if you want it like of course you can get it um of course it's going to be hard for them to look over but it's just crazy how that happens and we go back to the beginning of the controllables and uncontrollables and it's like hey you can focus on being your best self but if the national team calls up or not it's not up to you so right true crazy (laughs) stuff um let's see See, I had all this order, but then it was in my head and I like spoke through it at very different well, yeah, conversation times. flows. <laughs> it's the best part of, of conversations and, and how it works um, with the pressures that you do have as a goalkeeper. How do you deal with them in the game? Well, I, I've quickly learned that if I dwell on a mistake, then more mistakes happen. Um, and I try to when I see somebody else make a big time mistake, that's uncharacteristic of them. Like I try to remind them of that, like, okay, let that go or else there's a lot more where that came from. Um, and like, I know that from experience, like when I make a mistake and then I'm in my head about it and all I can think about is, you know, negative thoughts. Why did I make that mistake? I suck, blah, blah, blah. They're bound to keep happening. Like that's just the way it goes. Um, Just like Ted Lasso's advice, be a goldfish because they have the shortest memory. Right, right, right. You hear that a lot as a goalkeeper, like you got to have a short memory. Um, Again, easier said than done. But I've gotten so much better at doing that. Um, And I, I honestly think it's that logical piece for me where I'm like, okay, well, if you want to if you want to save this game in any kind of way, you better not focus on the on the past or on that mistake because I hate to break it to you, but there's going to be more where that came from. So honestly, that thinking about that piece, I'm like, okay, bye, it's gone. <laughs> Forgot about it. <laughs> I think the best thing about sports is how they are a metaphor for life and how like if you apply those transferable skills to your life, totally. you become unstoppable, which is why people love student athletes or just elite athletes in general. Um with those with those transferable skills like 
how do you deal with mistakes, whether it's as a goalkeeper or just in your life? I am very hard on myself. I think that's an athlete trait, and then it's even more of a goalkeeper trait. Um, so it's hard. Like, I definitely, um, when I make a mistake, especially if I make a mistake that impacts other people in some way, um, I take it really hard. And I'm actually, I'm trying to do better at, like, not saying I'm sorry so much. Um same. Yeah. I thought about that so much recently. Because I'll say sorry for things that are literally not my fault, like, at all. And I, I love a good apology. I'm all for apologizing. I'm all for forgiving. But th- this is not the time to say I'm sorry. So I'm trying to get better at that. Um, I'm trying to just be more understanding that it's kind of how we were talking earlier like when I'm looking at somebody else oh they brush their teeth just like me sometimes it helps me to look at myself like from an like I'm looking at myself from a bird's eye view or from another person's point of view um or I often think about it like I'm in a group project with myself (laughs) um I love that and this is the task that has to be done and if my partner me in the group makes a mistake and I get mad at them, how do you think they're going to react? Our project isn't going to get done to the best of its ability. Um, So therefore you should, you know, you should treat your partner the way that is going to help the success of the team. Um, So I love that metaphor for me, uh, especially when it comes to like, negative self-talk or I guess making a mistake and how you respond to that. I'm like, okay, I'm in a group project. Me and me, me has got to be nice to me or else me is going out the dough. Like me is not following through with this project or putting my best effort in or anything, you know? So that metaphor I think really helps me. I love that. That is (laughs) so, so cool. Um, how you think about it as, as a team, because you are a team, you're, your mind is a team with your personality and with your heart and with your feelings and with your body. Like it's, it kind of is a team project with everything you do. And that's a really cool way to think about <laughs> it. I love that. Um, the thing I was, um, that I'm practicing on not saying I'm sorry for is recently I've gotten terrible at replying to messages and it's mm-hmm. not something I'm doing on purpose. I've just gotten very bad because as I told you beforehand, I have my notifications off on my phone. I just don't get notifications besides the essentials, which is like I message for certain things with my roommates, WhatsApp with my family, Mm -hmm. um, group me with the team and school email because of class. Besides that, I don't get notifications. I don't like them. And I found so much peace recently because of them. But that also leads to me not replying to messages. And I'm always like, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. I replied two days late. And it's like, dude, don't be sorry. Mm -hmm. You can reply whenever you want. You can choose to reply or not. Some people think like, oh, that's disrespectful. Bro, no. Like, you don't don't have to do things. Nobody's obligating you to do them. Or if if you're texting someone and you get to the end of the conversation and there's nothing for you to respond to then why why would you respond I'm the same way like it's not a big deal it doesn't equal that this person hates you or is any has any kind of malintent so yeah I think that's awesome I need to I think I need to cut back on the screen time a little bit myself 
I think, <laughs> once again, with uh, Steve Jobs' explanation, I don't think uh, screen time is necessarily bad. Uh, I saw my... What on- you're doing, though, I think. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That is exactly the point. So today I got my uh, weekly update from the phone of like, oh, you had... I had five hours of uh, daily screen time on average. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that and I'm like, wow, five hours is a good amount of time. And then I look at what I'm doing because it shows you. Mm-hmm. Social media is like one of the least on it. It's mostly, mostly Safari, mm-hmm. uh, Kindle or Spotify. It's like just using that YouTube as well. It's like yeah. I'm using the tools at my disposal. I have nothing to be sorry about yeah. that for. And people could say, wow, five hours, that's so much. It's like. Dude, I'm just using it for what I need it to be, right. whether that's school um, or just things I'm curious about. Like, that's just how it works. Um, and I think if we don't use that, like, I don't know. But the thing I have realized recently is that the best moments in my life truly are when I'm not on my phone. Um, totally. And I enjoy that so much. Like, something I was talking about with another guest that I've had on recently is what makes the podcast so special is that we're having a conversation without our phones being present. We're having a conversation where we can only listen to each other's voices and there's nobody else to interrupt. We're just talking. And it's so crazy because like on Twitch, for example, the most popular thing right now is called just chatting. And it's people like literally just talking online. And it's like, wow, no way that the most basic thing in life is becoming the most popular because it's, Something that sadly now is just not common. People don't have these types of conversations mm-hmm. anymore. You're at a party. Somebody could be texting. You're having coffee. Oh, I got a notification. Let me check it. Yeah. Every time now that I'm at a dinner or with friends or whatever, I try to either leave my phone here or just airplane mode it. And if I need it, it's there at my disposal. Yeah, but yeah. otherwise, it just brings so much joy and happiness and peace totally. to life, which is crazy. Peace. It's very freeing. <laughs> very. Because <laughs> we're freeing. prisoners to it, really. Yeah, we we really are. Yeah. Um. I actually, let me reach for this. <laughs> oh, I this saw is, this. I think you posted this I, on your story. I did post that on my story. Am I using this technology or is it using me? This reminds me of um. I forget the name. It's a documentary on Netflix about. You've seen it, I'm I know sure. What you're Facebook, about. Yes. everything. Yes, they yes, have yes, like yes. the founders of all these social media apps and everything coming on and talking about just you know kind of the detriments, but also the good things about it. But one of the quotes, I don't know if I'm going to remember it totally, but it was like technology, the technology and the drug world are the only two, you know, corporations or whatever that call their customers like consumers i think it was or like um users maybe and i want to find the when i find the quote i'm going to send it to you because it's so interesting the wording that's actually used when it comes to tech um because you're consuming it you know it's like you're taking a drug so i just that reminded me of that yeah it's it's crazy how that works and i have this here because again i view all of this as tools Mm -hmm. that i really like and i wouldn't trade for the world sometimes if it's five or ten hours i don't care i'm using it for something that's good for me that's fine yeah but i have to remember that when i catch myself scrolling Mm -hmm. like said experience i had at the san antonio thing that i was at was I'm most likely never going to see these people again in my life. Mm -hmm. 
what are you going to do with that? Yeah. Allow that to dictate your actions and everything you do towards these people. Yeah. What impact are you going to leave on them? How will they remember you? And then I can catch myself scrolling now in my room, whether it's five minutes, 10 or an hour. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, what could I have used that time for? Could I have gone out and had a conversation with someone if yep. I had that free time? Yep. Could I have done something to impact them? Like, what am I doing to to the theme of the podcast, leave my den in the universe, if I'm just scrolling on my phone? Yeah. And it's not that that's bad. Maybe that relaxes you every now and then. But when you're our age, in college, seniors, balance. find <laughs> that balance. <laughs> yes. If you want to scroll, scroll five, ten minutes. Yeah. Don't do that all day. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, yeah. <laughs> balance and moderation. <laughs> There's a, a great thing from Stoicism where they show like what moderation is and it's like watering down the wine. Mm. And I feel like that's a great concept yeah. like of just not saying no to something, but just water in moderation. Down. I feel yeah. like, well, yeah, water it down. Whatever you want. Yep, nice. you can have it. I like water it down. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, just water it down. <laughs> um, let's see, last few things now. Um, this definitely stood out to me. Your uh, showcase, your leadership showcase. You said that we need to change the narrative of what it means like to be vulnerable. How do you think we can do that? I personally think that it comes from the fact that vulnerability allows you to genuinely connect with people. And that's what at the end of the day, we all need. We're a very social species. Um, and so I think it, yeah, I think it comes down to the fact that if you're not vulnerable and open, you're not going to expand um, those relationships with people. And I've really used that kind of mindset in my leadership. Um, and I think it's really helped people respect me you know, come to me, be comfortable with me because I'm open, because I'm vulnerable. And vulnerability doesn't have to be like, okay, I'm sharing my hardest moments. Like it can just be you being yourself and not having to put that front on. Um, So, but it's a challenge, right? We have all these pressures we've talked about. We have these standards, we have these perceptions of what things need to be like um, that I guess can hold you back from showing from being vulnerable and from showing your true self so it's it's ultimately a courageous thing um because it's not the norm and it's harder to do to be vulnerable but once you are it's so rewarding um so I think it's like it's encouraging people that like you can do it you know um that's how we're going to change the narrative, I guess. And also the more that there's positive feedback around it, the more normal it becomes. It's better. Everybody, nobody thinks that it's a big deal. Um, and then there's, there's less of an intensity around it too. So that's what I would say, um, of how we can change the narrative is just encourage people that they can do it. Cause it is hard at the end of the day people are afraid of it. I mean, which is understandable because it's only when you're vulnerable that you can be exploited, you know? Um, but yeah, I think, I think we've got to encourage people that they can do it and then accept when they do and treat it positively. And then once people start 
seeing the rewards that come with it, I think it's going to be a positive feedback loop and you're going to want to do it more and more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like, especially when you normalize it, yeah. I will be completely honest, something that I thought about and I stopped myself from doing mid-conversation was when you shared about the antidepressants, I was going to say thank you for sharing. But then I was like, if I say that, then I point out how it could be a taboo for some people. Mm -hmm. And no, I just want to normalize it. So I'll keep on going with the conversation yeah. as it should be, Yeah. as it should <laughs> be. And it's like, that's one example. But be, being vulnerable as well, like people opening up, being willing to open up about what they're going through. People being able to normalize saying like, yeah, I do have some anxiety or I have dealt with depression. And instead of saying like, oh, thank you so much for sharing. No, just, just let it like, be. I we're just two people talking, two people that brush our teeth in the morning. We're just two people talking that have experiences. And like, yeah, we might not have the same experience, but at some level we can relate and understand. Like, I just for me, it's like people are just people. Like, it's just another person. Like, it's okay. Like, we can talk. And if, you know, if the conversation gets awkward or if, if something happens that somebody doesn't like, like, okay, then you figure it out from there. Like, it's not this big deal. Like, we can talk about things. Yeah, we can. And that's the only way to solve things. And the craziest part to me from being vulnerable is that I've realized that when I am, immediately somebody else can relate to it. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm not the only one. And mm -hmm. I think that's the most beautiful part yeah, from everything. Totally. And it's the connection and finding the meaning and the purpose and, and all that. Um, connecting uh, to a very separate topic, and it's a bad <laughs> transition, but closing off your career at Cal. Um, yeah. Amazing career. Obviously, like, congratulations on, on everything. Thank you. Looking back, do you have a, a favorite moment from being a – D1 soccer player here at Cal? Ooh. Well, I have, like, the um, the obvious ones that are, like, you know, winning the Stanford game, winning against UCLA my freshman year. Um, the obvious things like that. Uh, but there's this one memory. I was talking about it with my dad last night, actually. So it's on the, you know, it's it's on the top of my head, so to speak. Um, <laughs> we were playing the University of Arizona. And while I've been here at Cal, they're just kind of notoriously like, you know, like it's going to be a chippy game. It's going to be physical. Um, it's going to be direct. It's just, that's how it's going to be. Like buckle up because they're not stopping. And I, <laughs> this is my freshman year. I remember I, ball was kind of like I made a save but I didn't hold it it was kind of loose so I like was scrambling to go get it and I get it and my hands are on it um and this girl from Arizona comes and tries to like kick the ball out of my hand and Sydney Collins uh my good old center back Sid Collins comes flying in boom shoves her out of the way I have a video of it I was watching it last night shoves her out of the way and says get the F off my keeper. And then the girl grabs Sydney like by the Jersey and punches her. And I was on the ground laughing cause I thought it was hysterical. Um, but it was such a funny memory. And now that I think about it, I'm like, dude, that's badass. And that literally epitomizes Sid's competitiveness. And like, she inspires me so much. So 
that's a really cool moment for me. And then, like, this is going to be cheesy and cliche, but the best part about sports, soccer, about my experience ever, it's just the people, like, and the relationships I've made um, along the way. And so that, as a whole, has been my favorite part about Cal. Definitely has been the people that I've met um, and the relationships that I'll hopefully have for a long time. Um, coaches, teammates, random people in class, friends, everybody. Like, I've just met incredible people here. So that's my favorite, favorite, favorite thing about Cal. <laughs> that's an awesome story with uh, with Sydney. That's, that's so hilarious. Funny. Shout out to Sydney, too. Shout out obviously. to Sydney. <laughs> I mean, are you guys going to play each other next season? Mm-hmm. That'll be very interesting. Yeah, we will. <laughs> That'll be fun. That'll be lots of fun. Um, great story. I want to watch that video now. I have so, it. I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. um, draft day story. Speaking of you and Sid, um, take me through what your experience was like with the draft day. Ooh. Um, well, so I went and trained with a few teams before the draft, like over winter break and stuff. Um, so that was that was fun. I got to meet the coaches, kind of get a feel for things at each environment. Um, but then after that, it was just kind of a waiting game and, you know, they can't really give you much. They can say, oh, we really like you and you're high on our list. But at the end of the day on draft day, there's a lot of things that are out of their control. Like who knows where you're going to get picked or if you'll get picked. Um, so they can't really give you any guarantees. So after my trainings, it was just kind of a waiting game, um, and the anxiety just like built slowly. And then the night before draft day, I just no sleep. Like I was just up, not like, Oh, where am I going to get drafted? But like, I can't sleep if subliminally there's some kind of stress going on. So I was just, I was just up. Um, draft day comes around. Um, and I was at CVS with my dad picking up stuff because we were going to have, like, my family over. Um, And I get a FaceTime call from Dan, the goalkeeper coach at Angel City. And I'm like, FaceTime? Like, okay, um, I'm in CVS. (laughs) So I, like, go into the corner. I, like, literally run away from my dad. I, like, go over into the corner, and I'm like, hey, Dan, um, everything's great. And he was basically like, hey, um... Nobody knows. He's so funny. He's so charismatic. It's it's he's a really cool guy, but he's like nobody knows I'm calling you. Um, but wait, I hope I hope he's okay if I say this on air, but <laughs> um he's like nobody knows I'm calling you. Um, but if you're around at pick 27, we're going to draft you. But he was like I, I don't know if you'll be around like you know, historically it's pretty early if you were to get picked before that, but there are teams that have higher picks than us that really like you. But if you're around at 27, then we're taking you. And I was like, okay, well, this means I'm actually like getting drafted. If, you know, if he sticks to his word, which he was a super upfront guy, the entire process. So I wasn't super scared about that, but I was like, oh my God. Okay. This means I'm actually getting drafted. Um, so I like go home, whatever, the days, you know, the celebration is starting, the draft's on now. I'm like, every time um, the person would come up to speak, we'd all be like, shh, shh, shh. And then we'd go back to our conversation. <laughs> um, and I remember Sid 
got drafted, you know, eighth overall. And I was, I mean, in my eyes, she's, she's my number one draft pick all day, every day, but it was so like shocking. We just, we weren't expecting her to go so high and we heard her name and we were like, Oh my God. And we just like freaked out. Um, so that was super cool. And then I was like, oh, my God, like, it's kind of getting real. Like, I like that's Sid. And she just, you know, like, it's getting real. And then I remember pick like 24, 25, 26 were all teams that like had been in contact with me and were um, interested. That was, you know, that's the most I really knew. But they were interested and they needed a keeper. Um, so I was like, ooh, like. I could go, you know, any of these times. And then when pick 27 or when pick 26 um, was officially locked in, I get a call and it was actually, I didn't even, I wasn't, I didn't even have my phone in my hand. It came up on my laptop, which was like over there. And Steven was like, and pick up your phone, pick up your phone. And I was like, Oh shit. And so I run and get my phone. Um, and I answer it and it was Dan and he was like, we're about to draft you. And I was just like, oh my God, like, this is surreal. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, like, sweet. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and Stephen, I had a, an Angel City jersey from when I went and trained down there. And Stephen was like, go get your shirt, go get your shirt. And I was like, ah, and so I put my shirt on. And then honestly, like, just hearing my name, like, this sounds you know, cheesy, but just hearing my name being called, like, I was so overcome with joy. And so it really just solidified for me, like, I made the right choice to to pursue this. I can do this. People believe in me. Like, it was just so much joy. Everyone was, everyone was cheering. I got dogpiled on my couch. Like, it was really, really special um, and very relieving, too, to hear my name. Um, but it couldn't have been more perfect. I'm like, this is exactly where I wanted to be drafted to. I'm leaving on Tuesday. Like, I'm super excited to get down there. So all in all, I would not have traded the experience for anything. It was perfect <laughs> well first off congratulations on Thank that you. like I literally got goosebumps right now when you were telling that story <laughs> and I mean I've had an experience being there for a teammate getting drafted just here in our mm -hmm. in our living room right and I know how special that is and when I saw that video it was so incredible <laughs> so congratulations on Thank that you. it's also special that I'm pretty sure Steven went through that process as well so like yeah knowing what it's like and having that advice of anything or yes. little things like what you mentioned the the jersey mm -hmm. like oh go get the jersey or like, pick up your phone <laughs> yeah or pick up your phone yeah like that's so so special mm -hmm. as well and just being able to share that with with those people that that you love and incredible I'm so happy for you and the second thing that I have to be thankful for is we're recording this on a Sunday you mentioned Tuesday this is coming out later but Thank you still for, for giving me this oh my time. Gosh, I'm so happy that it worked out because I yeah. know we've been trying to do this, like you said, for a year and a half. <laughs> so this is perfect. Perfect I'm really timing. happy it worked out. Yeah, perfect, perfect timing. And that's an incredible story, um, <laughs> like genuinely incredible. And I I can't wait to see what what happens for you. And it's, it's exciting because I know, let me confirm the name before I mess it mm -hmm. up, right? But um yeah Orlando Pride's keeper uh Kaylee Collins was a senior in high school when you were a freshman in yeah. high school and she was starting over you 
on that varsity high school team. You didn't have that experience here at Cal, but now you will get it in the NWSL because obviously there are veterans and there are yeah. big names in front of you that you have to learn from and your time will come. But until then, you still have to learn. Like, how do you feel with that after not having that experience for the past seven years? I mean, I think it's really easy to say that I haven't had that experience. Okay. Um, and a lot of like my, my coaches say the same things. Um but when I went into national team, I had to prove myself and I had to take spots. And um, I I did that when I came to Cal. There was still an old, you know, there were still older girls that I had to, you know, there wasn't a solidified spot, but I still had to earn my spot there. Um, so, yeah, I haven't had it at quite this level yet. Um, and it's a grind like it is going to be a grind. But I have some experience. Um, and also at the end of the day, like I'm I'm a competitor and I, I obviously I want that starting spot. But I know that the way for the team to succeed is I come in and I'm a positive force in that goalkeeping group. And that's how I'm going to get better. That's how the two around me are going to get better. That's how our team is going to get better. So that's my that's my mindset is I want to go in and I want to be a positive force because I know that's how I'm going to get better. I know that's how the collective is going to get better. It's not about me being buddy, buddy with everybody. It is about me getting better still, but I know that that's the process. I've been through it before and almost every um, goalkeeping group that I've been a part of, it's like, we are like this, like it is the GK union through and through. We are tight. Like most of my best friends have been my, you know, the goalkeepers that I've taken their spots. Like it's more than, it's more than just that. Um, but I think I'm excited for the challenge. Um, and I'm excited to learn from the veterans, you know, too on the team, but I'm really excited for the challenge. Um, and like, I'm going to go in and take names, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. And hopefully that will happen. And to your, the first point, by no means did I intend to say that you hadn't worked for it before in the past oh, I seven know, years. I know. But a lot but, of people say that. Oh, yeah. A lot yeah. of people could very mm-hmm. easily say that. Oh, you just walked in yeah. and took it. No, no, no. She worked very hard all the other days that you weren't watching. And then she showed up prepared for it. That's the difference. Right, right, right. I think what I what I tried to say was that maybe you haven't had this level of competition before, which is the best part, like you were saying, because that's only going to make you better. And it's a great problem to have for Dan um, (laughs) and for the coaching staff, because I mean, if you have amazing goalkeepers going at it, going at it, like anything in life, this is my favorite thing about competition and just how it brings out the best in everyone. And whether we like it or not, whether it's who we wanted to win or not, it just brings out the best result for the people. Yeah, you get better. And you just get better. Mm-hmm. So that's the best part. Is there anyone in specific? I know there's big names on that team. Anyone in specific on Angel City FC that you're most excited to call a teammate? Ooh. Um, well, I will say I got like I got such an outpour of love from the girls on the team, from the general manager, people, you know, the fans, everyone. Like, I'm just so excited to be a part of that community. Um, so far, it's like I've received so much love. I was not expecting that and I don't think that that's a universal trait at other clubs like girls on the team making a video and posting it about welcoming me like that was amazing um but I think it was pretty crazy when Kristen Press texted me 
and was like, hey, Angelina, this is Kristen Press. Welcome to Angel City. And I was like, oh, my God, like, she's my teammate now. But um, so, I, I mean, the big names, yeah, Kristen Press, Sydney LaRue, Allie Riley, like, I'm... I'm super stoked for that, but like, I'm probably most excited to meet like my center backs. Like, um, I think Sarah Gordon was one of the people who was in, um, the video and she was like, I'm a defender, you're a keeper. So we're going to get real tight. But yeah, like that relationship with your back line is like love. So I think I'm excited to meet my defenders. That's so cool. (laughs) I'm also really excited to meet Alyssa Thompson. Um, you know, youngest draftee ever. So That'll be cool. I was going to ask if you knew her beforehand, but Mm-mm. yeah. No, I don't know her. I didn't realize she was only 18. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. Wow. Very incredible. <laughs> um, let's see. Just my, I wouldn't call them rapid fire because they're not rapid fire, but my last few questions that I uh, I always ask, biggest fear as a leader? Mm. My biggest fear as a leader I think it's letting people down. Um, like for me as a leader, that's a position that I'm, it's natural for me. I love that. I, there's no other <laughs> position that I can take. Um, but it does also add more pressure, just like everything else we've talked about. Um, and I think I put more pressure on myself knowing that I'm a leader and that I'm, my role is to lead these people where, we want to go, um, in the way that we want to do it. And I've had this experience before of the feeling of letting people down, um, especially like through having a poor performance, you know, and the amount of pressure that I, or the amount of guilt I feel for that is, it's so hard to deal with for me. So I think that's my biggest fear is letting people down the people that i'm supposed to be leading interesting yeah yeah (laughs) your definition of happiness Hmm. my definition of happiness i've never had to dissect it like this before I guess just um, my definition of happiness would be being at ease. Um, Like true happiness for me is not like a high, high of joy and celebration and stuff. And obviously it's not sadness. I think it's just a middle ground where it's like I like – Have you ever been outside or inside, but it's like the temperature is so perfect for you that it like, it's almost hard to distinguish your body from the temperature around you. I don't know if you've had that experience. Yes. I I know what you're saying. It's super cool. Um, But that's probably happiness. It's like, you're just in complete flow and ease and fit with where you are. (laughs) Beautiful. Very last one. What is your definition of success? Ooh. I just, my, well, part of my definition of success is 
like I don't think that there's an end goal um, or like an end point where it's like, all right, well now I've been successful. Um, I think you can take it a lot of ways, but at the end of the day, success for me is knowing that I put my best foot forward. I've done the work and I've, the most that you can ask of me is that I do my best. And did I genuinely, genuinely, I can look at myself and say, yeah, I did. And I'm proud of that. Then I would say that's a successful day. (laughs) Awesome. And that's all I have for you. Is there anything I missed? Anything else you want to touch on? No, I don't think so. This was awesome. I was not expecting it to be so deep and reflective and like such a conversation like this. Um, And I feel like I learned so much about you, my friend that I've known for years, but we haven't ever gotten to this level before. And other podcasts I've been on or, you know, interviews or stuff, it's very like focused on the soccer piece, um, which is cool. And that's, you know, that's maybe the aim of that particular podcast, but I really like how this kind of blended everything together. It's I've had to, so the biggest lesson I've had here and having some of the biggest names at Cal is just like how everybody's so much more than their accomplishments and their, their athletic career. And I think that's the beauty of having a a podcast for student athletes by student athletes, if Mm -hmm. that makes any sense. So I'm really glad we got to do this. Like you said, we've been friends for, what, four years now, and we've never talked this way. Obviously, it's an extreme where you have the headphones in and no phones and everything, but I'm really glad we got to do this. And hopefully, um, whether it's heading down from here or heading up from San Diego, I can sometime go to L.A., watch a game, and we can do this again sometime. Yes, I would love that. That'd be amazing. Thank you so much, Fair. Like, this has been awesome. I'm really glad that we could do this right before I leave too. I feel like it's like another nice little bow I'm putting on my chapter here at Cal and with my relationships and everything. So it was an honor. It's a full circle moment. The <laughs> totally. honor, the honor is all mine. Um, and I can't wait to watch you on your new chapter. And once that second full circle moment comes around, not too late, just uh-huh. maybe halfway point, And then I'll, we'll, we'll meet up again. But for now, I can't wait to watch you and, And yeah, it's been a pleasure, a joy. And to everybody that watched on YouTube or listened on Spotify, thank you guys so much. And thank you so, so much. Thank you. That's it for today. I'll see everybody next time. Peace out. (laughs) That's it. Nice. That was so fun. Isn't it a good time? It was really fun. I was not expecting it to like be so, I don't know, like fulfilling. Like, you know, it was like actually a good conversation.